Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. We are in the midst of a series of conversations that we're calling Down With the King. Can you say that? Down with the king. The Lord has been requiring of us to be ten toes down. That just basically means be all in with our faith. Be all in with our allegiance. Be all in with our king. Because it's pointless to call someone It's pointless to call Jesus the king if you're not willing to let him rule. (laughs) The only person that has rulership inside of a kingdom is the king. It's not a corporate affair. And so the Lord has been requiring of us to become down with him. We've anchored this particular series in a very familiar passage of scripture found in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, starting at the 11th verse. And of course, I'll be reading in the NLT. Because what else matters? But starting at verse number 11, it reads, for I know the plans I have for you. That's good news right there. Because some of us, we don't know. What's in store? We're searching for what's next. We're searching for our purpose. And it's good and comforting to know that God knows. Even if we don't quite have it all figured out yet, we have a Father in heaven that has given us in his word an assurance that it's already figured out. It's already established. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good. Your enemy would love for you to think the contrary. That because of decisions that you've made in your life, because of certain ways that he's tricked you and trapped you over your years, that there's no way that there could be a good plan waiting for you. And your heavenly father wants to know that not only are his plans good, they're not for disaster. And not only are they not for disaster, but they are to give you a future and a hope. How many of us are sitting here wondering what our future is, searching for hope because of what our present circumstances have presented? In those days, because there is a caveat for all of these promises, in those days when you pray, There's a reason that the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing because so many of the benefits, so many of the promises of our Father are tied to our ability to communicate with him through prayer, which is why it's so hard when you make the decision to pray, to focus, to concentrate, to find the time to pray. Why? Because your enemy, your adversary knows that your prayer life is a caveat and a precursor to what the Lord has for you. But he says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. One more caveat for you. 
You can't search for him any old way. You can't try to find him the way that you're comfortable. There's another caveat here that says in verse 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, that means you got to put all that you got into that seek. Because if you're not seeking me wholeheartedly, it doesn't count. So he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, guess what? You will find me. Today's message is entitled, The Perfect Stranger. (laughs) Because we have a Jesus, the son of the living God, who we, some of us call king, some of us call savior, some of us call master. And he is, in fact, perfect in all of his ways, but for some of us, He's a complete stranger. (laughs) And for you deep ones, there's certain areas of your life that he's a stranger to. I know you've been saved and you, you know, you've graduated from Sunday school, got your certificate on the wall. But the truth is you've hidden parts of your life from him. You have not let him enter in certain corners and certain crevices of your heart. Certain compartments of your soul he has no access to because he's a complete stranger. Revelations 3 and 20 says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come. You see how that's on you again? You have been expecting for the Lord to kick the door in and rescue you. But he said, you got to open the door. You have to let him in. You have to grant him access. And if you do, he says, he promises, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Who wants to be friends with the Savior? Anybody in the room? Where there's a way that you and I can become friends with our Savior. And that's to let him in the key to being down with the king, my brothers and my sisters, is to let him in. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, hey, neighbor, hey. do yourself a favor and let him in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I move out of the way because I want your perfect will to be done in this place. So whatever it is that you have to say, I ask that you say it through me in such a way that your people can hear directly from you. Lord, please have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, I was trying to do a little bit better, and I would try to go for some morning walks around my neighborhood. I I actually liked it because it's a way to kind of get your day started off right. I would either listen to a podcast or maybe just some worship music as I went. And uh, sometimes I would listen to worship music and pray. And on this particular morning, I got up before everybody else. And uh, for, for, for the way our house is set up, we normally go out the back door that leads to the garage. And then there's another door in the garage that leads to the outside. So I went through that first door and got into the garage. And then I went into uh, the next door And I went outside and I popped my AirPods in because we only use Apple products in holiness. (laughs) And I was just about 
to take off from my walk when I realized that I did not have my keys. And I was locked out. And not a good feeling. Because I'm a grown man. How did I lock myself out of the house? So it was still early, and I knew that my wife, she had a long night. Uh, she was working up late, so I didn't want to I didn't want to wake her up, and so I tried each my lovely children. <laughs> Called my son, nothing. Called daughter number one, nothing. Called daughter number two, nothing. So there I was on the outside trying to get in, but I had no access because my children were comfortable. Sleep, cozy in their beds. I wonder how many of God's children are missing out on the presence of their father simply because they're comfortable, asleep, inside their comfort zone while he's outside trying to get in. It's important that you don't miss what the scripture said. He's not kicking the door in. He's knocking. He's waiting. This is a very powerful scripture. Uh, there was an artist way back in the day named William Holman Hunt, and he grew up as an atheist, and he lived a good portion of his adulthood as such until he was rocked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the verse that we just read in particular was the verse that rocked him to his core that caused him to come to Jesus, so much so that he created a painting based on it. It's called The Light of the World. It's one of the most famous paintings ever. And you can see it here. And if you look close enough, you'll see some very important details. You'll see the halo around his head that represents salvation. You also see him, the Lord, carrying. The lamp, which represents the word of God. But probably the most important aspect of this particular painting is the door that he's knocking on. Because if you look close, you'll see weeds and tall grass in front of the door, which is a sign and a symbol that that door hasn't been open in a long time. And if you look closer, you'll see that that door with the tall grass and the weeds has no doorknob. Why? Because the doorknob isn't on Jesus' side. The doorknob is on our side. Remember, you have to be the one to open the door, which begs this question. Is there any area of your life where Jesus is on the outside? Can you take an honest assessment real quick? You can still look saved in your face. Maintain your church face, but just think for a moment. Internalize for a second. Is there any areas of your life that he currently is on the outside looking in, knocking, waiting for access, but you, for whatever reason, whether it's shame, fear, hurt, you have not granted him access. Well, I want you to know 
ladies and gentlemen, that's a dangerous place to be. Because there is no safer place than to be with Jesus. Now, he's seated on the throne in heaven, so how do we, how do we arrive at this place where we are with him? By granting him access to our hearts, to our souls, to our lives. We don't pray enough. And if we do pray, it's like super vague, like, Lord, make a way. Like, what? Huh? We don't talk to him like we believe that he can change the situation around. And listen, I'm guilty too. It's super duper easy to get there. It's called a slow drift. Because we all came into this world selfish. We all came into this world screaming for attention. We all like and prefer to do things our way and our strength with our own ingenuity because we're so smart. We're so creative. We're so spiritual (laughs) that we got this thing figured out. And it's easier than you think. You just go through your days making hundreds of decisions without your master, don't you? I've struggled with migraines for a very long time. From my days in the military, somehow I started having migraines. But they would come sporadically. I have no particular triggers. It just sometimes I wake up and here we go. But they're usually spread out. (laughs) They're usually here or there. But this past week... I had it four days in a row. Four days in a row. Listen, I don't know if y'all ever had a migraine, but it sucks. Consumes my whole day. And on that fourth one, I had this revelation. I said, I ain't never asked God to take them away. I'm just, I can handle it. I just take my little medicine wait for it to kick in, and then go about my day. I've never asked him, Lord, can you heal me from migraines? I didn't let him in. I wish you would be that honest with your life, too, as you contemplate the decisions you've made just over the past 48, 72 hours. How many of them did you make void of the influence of the Holy Spirit? outside. Hey, I can help you with that. Hey, I can heal you from that. Hey, I can provide for that. But we're too busy looking within that we don't see what's outside of the door. He's knocking. You're like, I'm busy right now trying to figure this out. We don't let Amen. We're a lot like the church that's in this passage of scripture that we're reading. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that get letters from Jesus through the apostle John. And this is the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And that's who's featured in this passage in Revelations chapter 3. And they were a very powerful nation. They were 
wealthy. Why? Because they had, one, a powerful banking industry. People came to them for their banking needs. And not only did they have a powerful banking industry that provided economic stability, but they had a powerful textile industry. People came to them for garments, and they had very rare types of textiles to make very rare type of garments. And so naturally, people came to them for those needs. And not only did they have a powerful banking industry, and not only did they have a powerful textile industry, but they also had a very powerful medical industry. They had a salve that was unique to their region that provided healing to people's eyes. And so people would come from all around to get this ointment for their eyes to help them with their sight. And so all of this industry made the region wealthy and comfortable. And they got to a point where they had this motto in their city that we have need of nothing. <laughs> Don't you dare point your finger at them like that. Because they're a lot like the country we live in powerful military, although we have economic concerns currently with inflation, with interest rates, but we're still a pretty powerful economic powerhouse in the world. Ain't too many people in this room skipping meals, are they? Nah. Y'all contemplating where y'all finna go get the chicken right now? <laughs> How much longer he gonna be up there? I got a roast in the oven. <laughs> but economically, we're doing all right, and, and, and so were they. And so here's the thing, though. When, when you have the influence of money like that, it, it can foster self-sufficiency. Like even those of us, because I've been there, living paycheck to paycheck, we don't necessarily have that urgency to depend wholly and fully on the Lord for our needs. We're still trying to do it ourselves. Haven't prayed, not one prayer. You on your third notice. And you still ain't presented that bill to the Lord. You still trying to rob Peter to pay Paul because you're so sure that you can figure out in your own strength. And so they had a problem with self-sufficiency because of all of the influence of all the money that was coming in. And the truth is, some of you are just the same. Not only that, but because of their powerful textile industry, they were a fashion powerhouse. And so they focused on appearance, which made them super self-centered. Because everybody was coming to them for the latest trends and the latest fashions. And so they started... Feeling they self. You would never do that, right? I saw a meme the other day. It said, money don't change me, but a new haircut do. Because <laughs> it's easy to become all about us. As a matter of fact, statistics say there are 93 million selfies taken a year in this country. <laughs> Some of y'all need to look at your phones right now. <laughs> 93 million. Like, man, I'm, I got about a million of them in my phone right now. 
93 million selfies in the USA a year. Don't you dare say we're not self-centered. Research says otherwise. And so does your Facebook page. It's easy to become self-centered. There was also this preeminence of knowledge. Because they had access to all this economic wealth, they also had access to the best scholars, sending their kids to the best schools. And they were accumulators of education, which was incredibly rare back then. Because they had this preeminence of knowledge that fostered a a sense of self-salvation. Because, you know, when we read enough books, we start questioning the validity of Jesus. Because we start to get so smart. We start to get so deep that we end up on the outside looking in. When we were in a safe place, but our accumulation of knowledge has caused us to become come quite dumb. And matter of fact, uh, there's a quote that says, in this current age, we're drowning in knowledge, but starved for wisdom. Meaning we got, we got access to more information than ever before, and it's made us dumber. We've lost wisdom because we've become reliant on ourselves. We got knowledge everywhere at an all-time high and wisdom at an all-time high. Well, why? Because we have not let that perfect stranger have access to us like he desires. And we, when we create a chasm, distance, a gap between ourselves and our Savior, we end up paying the penalty and we don't even know it. So let's look a little deeper at this passage of Scripture in Revelation 3. I'm going to go to the 14th verse. Write this letter to the angel of the church of life, Odyssea. This is a message from the one who is, the amen, the faithfulness and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15 says, now I know all the things that you do. That's important. Because <laughs> we think that we hiding something. We think we got it tucked away where nobody can see. You're right, we can't, but he can. He's taking good notes. And he's making sound observations. Not necessarily about what you're doing, but how what you're doing is tied to what you believe. How your actions are tied to the posture of your heart. I know all the things you do, but you are neither hot nor cold. This is important, and this isn't random, because I told you all of the pluses of this nation it had this booming banking industry, powerful textile industry. They were seeing a lot of economic stability, but you know the one thing they were struggling with? The one thing that they didn't have quality access to, water. The reason Jesus says that you are lukewarm 
It's because all the water supply here in this region based on the hot springs that were nearby and the water sources that were the closest to them made all of their water lukewarm and of no value. So he's using language that they absolutely understand. He said, you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. You see the exclamation? He don't like you playing the middle. He don't like you being super saved on Sunday and Monday through Saturday. You a whole heathen. He put the exclamation point there. I didn't. He said, look, I wish you was one or the other. Stop playing with me. On the south side of the place, stop playing in my face. <laughs> He's sick of y'all. But <laughs> he says, I wish you were neither hot nor cold. He's referring to, in all seriousness, your fervor and your zeal for him. He says, I wish you were on fire for me. <laughs> that like when people try to smudge my name, when people try to talk like I'm not God, when people try to say that I was just a good teacher in the history books, that you would be on fire enough to correct them. Or I wish you were cold. And I wish you just wouldn't tell people one thing out your mouth about me and live completely contrary to what you said about me. I just wish you was cold. <laughs> what was the problem here? They were really good at maintaining a churchy outward appearance. But on the inside, dead, void of the presence of God. It was all a charade. It was all an act. And he don't like it. Sorry. He does not <laughs> enjoy that. I wish that you were one or the other. He don't like mediocre faith. He likes the real kind. The kind that can't be shaken by circumstances. He wants the kind of faith that when you get the bad news, it doesn't turn you away from him. It makes you come closer. That's a hot faith. The lukewarm kind is that every time bad news shows up, you out. Every time good news shows up, you in. Lukewarm, mediocre. And here's the most important thing that you need to hear. He does not receive it. He doesn't receive your mediocre faith. It doesn't count. We don't really know where we stand until trouble comes. We don't really know what we believe about him until a situation comes up that's out of our control. 
until a situation shows up that we don't have the power to overcome in our own strength. That's when we find out what we really believe. It's one thing to read about unity in the Bible, but when unity shows up in your church, are you in or are you out? It's one thing to believe God for financial provision, but when the buckets come around, you got your hands in your pocket. Where's the faith? You hot? You cold? You lukewarm? If I got a little extra left over after I pay my bills, I might slide a couple dollars in the blue bucket, but it's not my first priority. Because my faith isn't strong enough. I got to pay these bills first. Look how quiet y'all got. Because I'm stepping on your mediocre faith. (laughs) Ain't the Bible awesome? He wants you, in all seriousness, to have the type of faith that can stand all temperatures of life whether he decides to turn up the heat on you, whether he decides to cool things off. He wants to know that your faith will not waver because if your faith is lukewarm, he wants absolutely no part of it. You know what he said he'll do with your mediocre faith? Spit it out. Did you read that? Let me read it because you don't believe me. In verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. (laughs) You ain't never spit out nothing tasty. You ain't never spit out nothing delicious. The only thing you spit out is something disgusting. Your mediocre faith is disgusting. So much so that he spits it out. He doesn't want it. Doesn't agree with his stomach. And he spit out those who have lukewarmness. This is graphic imagery so you get the point. He could have just said, I just reject. He said, no, 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 no. I vomit that. I spit that out. I don't want nothing to do with that. Either you with me, either you down, or you not. (laughs) And then we keep going to verse 17, and it reads, yeah, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. Some of y'all assume as y'all get that promotion, we don't see you no more. You was in there on the pillow. Just, Lord, if you do it, if you make a way, I promise. Soon as you get the offer letter, you in the Poconos. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't Need a thing. Now, maybe you've never said it out your mouth, but have you said it with your actions? Have you said it with your lifestyle? Because comfort has a way of killing our connection to the Christ. It really does. 
I mean, it really does. As soon as that settlement check got there, <laughs> as soon as your Boaz came, As soon as God blessed you with the baby, you went from hot to lukewarm. You were born and you were on fire. You were believing. You were trusting. You were standing on his word until the promise came. And we couldn't find you and neither could he. He was sitting there knocking. And you was busy being comfortable with your manifested promise that you couldn't even hear his knock and therefore you didn't let him in and you became lukewarm and he began to spit you out. Verse 17 goes on to say, you didn't realize, remember, that's what comfort does, it lulls us to sleep. You didn't realize that you are wretched and miserable. These are God's words. Y'all getting mad at me. I didn't call you wretched and miserable. I'm simply reading the Bible. Wretched and miserable. When you hear that, he's talking about the fact that you, or maybe the person next to you, it's caught up in sin and its consequences. I know we in church. And I know we like to show up with our Sunday best. Dress to impress. Got all the colloquialisms. Hey, how are you? Blessed and highly favored. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know all the cute phrases, but the truth is behind closed doors, we're caught up in sin. That's why he said you're wretched and miserable. Because I can tell by your lukewarmness that there's something in between you and me. Sin. He said, not only are you wretched and miserable, but you're poor. He ain't talking about your bank account balance. He's saying that you're bankrupt morally and spiritually. No matter how many scriptures you got memorized and you quote and you throw at other people, you need to be applying them to yourself a little bit more because you are bankrupt spiritually and morally. You can't be bankrupt unless you once had something. You can't bankrupt nothing. That means you had something and now you have nothing and now you have filed for bankruptcy to preserve what little you may have. And he's saying maybe you once had some deposit spiritually and morally, but as of now in your journey, in your drift to your bankruptness, maybe you haven't realized. That's how we started it. That's why it's so quiet. Because you haven't realized the drift. You haven't realized that you've been trying to do it your way by yourself. That the whole time he was knocking, you missed it. Not only are you wretched and miserable, not only are you poor, but you're blind. These are the words of the scripture. Lacking spiritual perception and awareness. That's why you keep getting God, because you ain't inviting the Holy Spirit in to help you see. You're blind. 
That's why you keep trusting the wrong one. That's why you keep making the wrong investment. That's why you keep applying to the wrong jobs. Why? Because you're blind. You haven't let them in. You're still trying to do it your way. Ooh, that looked good. That looked like a good opportunity. Is it? Why are you doing it without any spiritual insight? Why do you prefer blindness on the journey that God has you on? You starting businesses ain't prayed a prayer. Wondering why it doesn't work. Because you're blind and you have no spiritual perception or awareness. Not only are you wretched and miserable, poor, and blind, but the Bible goes on to say you're naked. Meaning that you're lacking righteous acts. Not only that, you're lacking the righteousness of Christ. You don't have the righteousness of Christ and it's showing up in the decisions that you make. You don't have the righteousness of Christ because you haven't given Christ the access that he's requesting of you. And because you haven't given him the access that he's requesting of you, you're out here making foolish decisions, looking like a fool. I'm sorry, to get better. Y'all, y'all hang in there. Y'all all right? Verse 18. We're almost done. Here comes the solution. He gave you the problem, but he didn't leave you there. Ain't God good? He shows you where you're coming up short, but now he's going to tell you how you can turn that situation around for the better. So in verse 18, he says, so I advise you, little um, parenthetical pause, anytime God advises you of something, I do it. I, I would take that serious. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Now he's not talking about the rings or the chains. He's talking about a different type of gold. He says, gold that has been purified by fire. Does your Bible say that? He says, then you'll be rich. <laughs> when you buy the gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Some of y'all got gold coins, but you don't have the purified gold of Jesus. He's saying, don't focus your investments on material things. Invest in spiritual riches. Hello, I know I'm the money guy, however, comma, it's all significant apart from spiritual richness. Because you can have material riches and squander it, or you can have material riches and still be miserable. I know a lot of miserable millionaires, a lot of them, because they don't have spiritual riches. And he's telling you that you're your best investment, the best investment that you can make is in your spiritual riches. What is that? Righteousness and holiness. Ooh. Ooh. We don't like them words no more. Righteousness and holiness. Holiness isn't long skirts. Holiness isn't no makeup. Holiness isn't, you can't preach with Jordans. 
I know I'm a mess. I'm sorry. <laughs> Holiness is a 24-7, 365 seek of trying to be more like him. We'll never be perfect, but there should always be a pursuit of trying to be like him, act like him, think like him, love like him. We shouldn't throw people away so easily as we do. <laughs> we shouldn't turn our backs on certain situations so quickly as we do. Now there's a time for closed doors and there's a time for exits. But there's never a time to be void of love. And love doesn't mean relationships. I got to give all these caveats so you can hear what I'm saying and not hear what I'm not saying. But we should always be dripping with the love of Jesus in everything that we do. That's holiness. That's righteousness. And that's what we should be pursuing. And it ain't easy because we didn't come here holy. We didn't come here righteous. And so it takes work and effort and intentionality to become more righteous, to become more holy. Because this, this is where true life satisfaction comes from. It's not how much you invest in your IRAs. We'll talk about that next month, though. It's not having the best house on the block. It's not pulling up in the best car to church. Because you in debt, so it ain't really that cute. <laughs> but true satisfaction in life comes from living a life pleasing to him. That's, no, that's the secret to it all. It's trying to be more like him today than you were yesterday. We struggle with that. But that's okay, as long as we're struggling to get closer. There is no perfect walk. There was only one. His name was Jesus. And your name is not. And therefore, it's going to be a journey. But he wants you to take the journey by faith. The hot kind. Not the lukewarm kind. So he says, bye some gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Here's the second strategy. Also, and he's speaking, he's talking about purchases. Why? Because that's what they know. They're all about the dollar-dollar bills, y'all. So he's saying, stop buying this mess and instead make these types of purchases. So after he tells them to buy gold that's purified by fire, he says, man, you should get some white garments from me. So you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Because remember, he informed them, like, y'all ain't got no clothes on. Y'all naked. So instead, buy white garments. What do the white garments represent? The righteousness of Christ. Here we go again. He's saying, the answer that you've been looking for is me. I have it. I'm knocking. I'm waiting. And all you have to do is give me access. All you have to do is come to me and I will present you with white garments. I will give you my righteousness. You don't have to do it in your own strength. I can take the lead if you let me. 
you let me. You don't have to lean on your college degree. You don't have to lean on your resume. You don't have to lean on your network. You can lean on me. You can put on my white garments. You can clothe yourself in righteousness. You can seek me and give me access to every area of your life, and I will take the lead. I will help you. I will be your strength. I will be your guide if you open the door. So after you put on his righteousness, the last thing he asks you or advises you, I should say, to buy is ointment. Remember, he's speaking their language. They sell ointment to the rest of the world and make a lot of money doing it. And he says, buy ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Jesus is offering them spiritual eyes, spiritual insight. Spiritual discernment. We don't realize that the Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities. We're so busy fighting in the natural alone that we don't realize that this battle is on two fronts. And we haven't engaged in spiritual warfare because we don't have the eyes to see. And he's saying, I can help you with that. This is why he's knocking. This is why he's requesting access, because he know you're getting beat upside your head in the spiritual realm, because you're blind still to what's happening. <laughs> Certain sectors of Christianity, we say the devil is busy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you're just blind. Maybe if you had the ointment that Jesus is talking about, you can take some proactive measures in the spiritual fight to discern the true condition that you're living in and see your life, this is tough, listen, see your life from an eternal perspective. Some of us are going calendar year to calendar year. 2024 is going to be my... You're focused on a calendar when God doesn't live in time. He doesn't have a watch or a calendar. But you're so busy talking about what 2024 is going to be. And that's cool. We all about goals and we all about being driven. We all about striving. <laughs> but we also have to give space to look at our life from an eternal perspective. How is this decision today going to affect who I am in the presence of the Lord forever? How is he going to feel about my decision to do it on my own, to exclude him from the process? when I stand before him on that glorious day. How is he going to feel about the gossip and slander that I've said secretly? When I stand before him on that glorious day. That's called looking at your life from an eternal perspective. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures and let you go. But I hope that what you take away today is the fact that you have a loving Savior who loves you so much that although he's knocked and you haven't answered, he hasn't left. <laughs> 
that you still have the ability, hear me, to open the door. He's still awaiting access. Verse 19 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Did you hear that? Some of us think that God is turning our turning his back on us. Some of us think that God is mad at us. Some of us think that God is punishing us. He said, I only hear me correct and discipline those I love. Sometimes it don't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like anger. Sometimes it feels like wrath. And what God wants you to know is, no, 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 it's love. I love you enough to put you on the right path. I love you enough to get you back where you need to be. I love you enough to take that person out your life. I only correct and discipline those whom I love. So be diligent. That means to work hard. He's telling you it ain't going to be easy. He's being very honest and upfront with you. That's why he said be diligent. Like you're going to have to press in, lean in to this journey. But be diligent. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Keep pressing. And turn. You got to read the Bible a little slower. He's telling you to turn because he's not going to turn you. He's speaking directly to you and I telling you to make the decision for you to exude the effort to turn from your indifference. Meaning that, make up your mind. He's tired of you swaying from left to right. Either he's God or he's not. When your kids act crazy, is he God or is he not? When your marriage gets rocky, is he God or is he not? When they start sending those red notices in your mailbox, is he God or is he not? When the diagnosis is bad, is he God or is he not? Turn from your indifference and make up your mind that he's God, period. That's what he's asking. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, did you hear that? If you hear my voice, there's a chance that you could miss it. If. You got to be looking for it. You, you hear my voice, and if you open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Like, I'm just going by that. Jesus, the great I am who was there from the beginning, who created all things and all things were created for him. 
is giving you the opportunity to be friends with him. And can I let you in on a little secret? You don't deserve it. But the opportunity is present. If you, you let him in, he says, we can share a meal together as friends. This is it, and then we're going home. The next verse says, those who are victorious, that means those who endure, you can't have victory, hear me, unless there's a battle. It's the only way to get a victory. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Okay, here's your final request from him. Anyone with ears to hear must, (laughs) must listen to the Spirit. Must. It's required. Some of us are so task-oriented that we've made up in our mind, you know what, I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to read more. I'm going to fast more. But but you're making it about your efforts. He said you must listen to the Spirit because you won't know to pray without it. You won't know what to read without it. You won't know how to fast without it. So you can't just make this about your effort. Yes, he's requiring your diligence. And yes, he's told you to turn and he's giving you instructions, but he's telling you, don't you do it without listening to my spirit first. Don't go out of here trying to still do it your way and you're trying to spiritualize it now. It's still your way. He says, my way starts with you listening to my spirit because I will guide you on how to do this if you do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He wants you to know what he's saying. He wants to involve himself in your life and not just the church part of your life. He wants to be involved in the work part of your life, in the relational part of your life, in the financial part of your life, in the education, you see where I'm going? In the educational part of your life. He want to help you pick your hairdo. Because he know what your boy ass like and what, never mind. The point is, There should not be any area of our life that he's not privy to. It's a simple point. You applying to colleges ain't talk to the master. You getting a master's degree without the master's approval. And all you end up with is more debt. Not more opportunity. Why? Because you didn't consider the master's plan for your life. Let's stand. Here's what the Lord wants you to know. He wants you to exit out this building knowing that he's still there at the door knocking. And he's talking to all of us. Don't you dare think in your heart, man, I wish fill in the blank would have heard this. No, no, no. He's talking to you. Mm -mm. 
Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He at your door knocking, waiting on you to turn the knob and give him access. Stop playing in his face and start a total surrender. Hey, hear me. A total surrender. Because what he promised was when you do, when you open the door, when you say, Lord, come on in, he's going to come in. That's not even the best part. The best part is what he said after. <laughs> he said, we'll be friends. Who doesn't want to be friends with Jesus? We all do. Well, he's giving you a formula to make that your reality. It's not just a song by Israel and Newbury. You can be friends with God if you follow the instructions that he's giving you. And what's the instruction? Stop fronting, stop faking, and be real with him. Let him know exactly what's going on. Let him know exactly the decisions that you're trying to make. Let him know exactly the struggles that you're still facing. Let him know exactly what you're afraid of. He don't need you to be fake. He's asking for authenticity. He does not want to be a stranger anymore. Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.